Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So last week I began the sermon by saying that there is one thing that you do not do as a preacher, and that is use your wife as an illustration. But I did because she was serving in the nursery, and we're still married, so it went well. But the real rule, the true rule of preaching is you never mention your teenage daughter. Well, guess who's not here this morning? So she's fair game. Wednesday was Avery's 16th birthday. And we are allowing her to drive on a limited basis. And... On Saturday, we let her drive by herself for the first time. She got to go to a store, and then she went to her school. And we were nervous wrecks. I will, I cannot describe the feeling of watching her drive off by herself out of our driveway. I actually stood at the front door and watched her drive off. And then, once out of sight, Vicky has an app on her phone, and she's watching how fast is she going, where is she going, what's happening. And we followed her all the way to her final destination. When we went to buy her a car, what were our main considerations? Did we want something really fast? Absolutely not. Did we want something really small? Absolutely not. What were we looking for? Well, knowing Avery, our main concern was, this may seem funny to many of you, but our main concern was the alarms that go off when you are turning left or right and there's a car right beside you. We wanted it to sound like a tornado alarm. That if she was moving to the right lane or moving to the left lane, she would be alerted by her car. We wanted airbags, plenty of airbags. We wanted something that was sizable. I wanted something that didn't go very fast. We put a lot of thought into what kind of car did she need to drive to protect her. Because, as you can understand... We love her dearly, and we care for her, and we want her to be safe. And so when we come to this passage this morning in 1 Timothy 5, it seems like on face value, a list of instructions for pastors and elders in the church. But I would contend that there's a lot more here. And that what you are seeing is Jesus and His love for the world and for the church and for us. And that is found in Paul's instructions to Timothy. But in order to see those three things, to, if you will, get to the mountaintop and look around, we need to go through the valley. We need to walk through some of the specifics of this text. 
So let's begin with verses 17 and 18. Paul is talking about the double honor. He's talking about the respect that should be given to elders. Now remember in our denomination that we have two types of elders. We have ruling elders. We have men who are in training right now who will eventually be nominated, excuse me, elected by you perhaps to be ruling elders in our congregation. You also have teaching elders. That is what I am. I am the teaching elder of this church plant. And together, we provide oversight and leadership as a session. We are your elders. I do not have more authority than them. They do not have more authority than me. We govern together as those called by the Lord to provide shepherding and oversight to you. The word elder in Greek means presbyteros. And that's where we get the word presbyterian. So if you've ever wondered what Presbyterian means, and a lot of people do, and they think it's predestination because they seem to kind of sound alike and they're both lengthy words that begin with the P, but that's not the case. It comes from this Greek word which means a church that is governed and ruled by elders. And we believe that this is the most biblical form of church government as you look at the Old Testament and as you look at the New Testament. If you want to do a deep dive, Regarding this in the New Testament, I would encourage you to read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. And that's where you see this. And so Paul is telling Timothy, who is a teaching elder in the church, he has gone to Ephesus, a church that Paul planted in order to straighten out problems, particularly false teachers. We've talked about this as we've worked our way through the text. And what Paul is saying here, in terms of double honor, it means that respect is given to the elders of the church and for the one who teaches and preaches that the congregation should care for him. That's what he is getting at by this reference. But it's also a reminder to me as I was wrestling through the text this week, as I was thinking about it, as we had elder training on Wednesday, and I'm talking to the men who could potentially be your shepherds one day. It reminded me of what we are called to do. And we don't have to think back far to what this means all we have to do is go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul says to Timothy, be an example to all believers in what you say and the way that you live in your love and your faith and your purity. So there's a big responsibility that's placed on my shoulders. There's a big responsibility that's placed on their shoulders. But we are not to lord our authority over you. We are not to be difficult and unloving and unkind. We are to be worthy examples of Jesus to you. And we are called week in and week out, each Lord's Day, to point to Jesus. To say, I am a sinner who needs Him desperately. 
join me on this journey as we go to the cross as a church family. Because I need His grace. These men who are in training need His mercy. We rest in the promises of His steadfast love. And we want to lead you in such a way that you understand that we care for you, that we appreciate you, that we are concerned about you, that we want what is best for you, and that the gospel would shine forth in all of us. Verses 19 through 21. It was interesting and in God's providence that the Christian berries took their vows this morning. Because one of the vows that they take is that they will submit to the discipline of the church and they will seek to uphold the peace and the purity of the church. When you say discipline, it often connotates difficult things. Often when I mention discipline in church membership classes, the first thing that people think of is excommunication. But you need to understand that discipline is the way in which God calls sinners back to Himself. It's the instrument that God uses to bring about confession and redemption. And it can look in many forms. So to understand church discipline better, you need to know that what I am doing right now is church discipline. Because I am leading you to the cross. And in the preaching and teaching of the Word and in the worship service that we carry out, I'm calling you to examine your heart, to look at your soul, to die to self, and to live for Jesus. That that is an aspect of church discipline. Excommunication, which is biblical, and we see it in our text here, where it says, if they persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So it is a biblical issue. But it has many different forms. John Calvin one of the great theologians of the Protestant Reformation, says that church discipline is biblical and it is necessary and that it has three important reasons. Number one, it brings honor to God. That the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, we care about the church, we care about God, and it is our desire to protect His honor. Yes, it's uncomfortable in its most extreme cases. Yes, it's challenging in its most extreme cases. But it is necessary and it is important because the honor of God's name is on the line. Secondly, it protects the church. We see Paul instructing Timothy in this letter to be on guard in the church in Ephesus to speak truth and to deal with with these sinful false teachers. And so as elders of the church, as the session, as ruling elders and teaching elders, it is our calling 
It is our responsibility to protect the flock. To be good shepherds. And to be good shepherds means that sometimes you have to go rescue lost sheep. It also means sometimes that you have to grab your staff and protect the flock from wolves. It's challenging, but it's important. And also, the third thing that Calvin speaks to is that church discipline provides a clear focus on the seriousness of sin. That if you are called to this church, if you have professed faith in Christ, we are not perfect. But it is our responsibility to be holy like He is holy. To follow after Him. And so we cannot let unrepentant, unrestrained sin happen in the midst of our people. Has, has to be dealt with. And let me tell you, through years of experience, it's hard and it's difficult and it's challenging. And I will tell you that oftentimes the world may see it as mean and ungracious and unloving. I'm telling you this is a new church. It will happen. And your elders cannot get on social media and say, here's what happened and here's why we did what we did. That everything that we do in order to shepherd the flock is under the strictest confidence. It's going to happen because we live in a fallen, broken world. And so what Paul is telling Timothy and what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul to you is elders who are loving and faithful and pure and who point to Jesus, they're worthy of respect. In other words, in the midst of these difficult challenges, in the midst of discipline, trust them. Trust their leadership. Trust that they're honoring the name of God. Trust that they are protecting the church. And trust that they are doing what is right to deal with the seriousness of sin. Now does that mean that we go through the congregation studying you and examining every little sin that you might commit? Oh, I hope not because I will be in trouble. What I'm getting at is serious, unrepentant, consequential sin that takes place within the life of the church. Understand that in our culture, and by saying that, I mean broader evangelical church culture, Discipline, for the most part, has eroded. When I was a pastor for 10 years in Madison, Mississippi, a suburb of Jackson, I had to deal with church discipline cases on a fairly regular basis. And often in order to escape discipline, 
people would leave the church. And they would go to other churches. And time and time and time again, those churches said to me, we're about love and grace here. And we don't believe in church discipline. In many respects, they didn't even know what it was. And that, by and large, is what we see in our culture. And I think that's a shame. Because it would be like having a family and having no discipline for your children. Remember, we are called to be a church family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so all Paul is saying is what we see normally in the life of a family, which is discipline. Mothers and fathers doing what is right to guide and shepherd and lead and protect and love and nurture their children. Paul is saying this should exist in the church. But sadly, the church today has abandoned this. So it's one of the reasons that I love preaching through the text chapter by chapter and verse by verse because when I come to this, I can't skip it. I can't say, well, that's really uncomfortable and I would rather us not do this as a church. I'd rather take the easy road as a pastor and not do the hard work of shepherding and so I'm going to skip this verse. I can't because here it is. And Paul is saying that discipline is important and necessary. Verses 22 through 25. Don't be hasty in the laying of hands. In other words, don't be in a rush to ordain people. Because we've already seen how serious the role of elder is, both teaching and ruling in the life of the church. That if you want elders who are pure, and who love the doctrines of the gospel of grace, and who are obedient to the Great Commission, and who follow after Jesus, you want to test them, and you want to see, are they worthy of the office? So don't be in a rush. Examine their lives. See what they're like. Because the sins of some people are conspicuous, but others, it takes time. And then you'll notice that the little humorous tidbit in parentheses about drinking wine for your stomach. It's easy just to pass over that. But I, here's what Paul is meaning. Timothy's a young man in a difficult situation. A church plant that is ripe with false teachers. Don't you think his life is stressed? Don't you think he's having issues in terms of his health? And so what does Paul say? Well, Merlot might help the situation. Well, Ziffindel might get you back on your feet. All humor aside, what this in parentheses is saying is church life is hard. Church life is not easy. Family life is not hard. You know this. Have you ever gotten together with your family at Thanksgiving? 
It is not a seamless process. Think about how challenging it is in the context of church family. You guys have been a blessing to me and Vicki. It was challenging to start a church in the midst of COVID. But one of the things that I say over and over again is that Trinity is the best. You're so loving and you're so kind and you've been so wonderful to us and we all seem to get along so well. But who is active and who is alive? Satan. So there are going to come rough waters. And there will be deep waters. And there will be fires that the Lord has to walk us through. It's just simply what it means to live in a fallen world as a church family. And so I just saw this in parentheses and it was a reminder to me of what we will go through. But let me tell you this. If Jesus is truly ours, He will see us through. He will hold us together and He will see us through. And so we run to Him each Lord's day and allow the resurrected Savior to fill our hearts with joy and with peace. So we've made our way through the valley. We've taken the trail through the woods and we're going to ascend the summit. So yes, there's a lot of instruction here about what it means to be a church and what it means to be elders. But I think if you step back and look, there are three big picture things here for us to take away. Number one is that Jesus loves the world. Jesus loves the world. Why could we say this? Why am I saying this? Because Jesus gives the world the church. Jesus has given us the gospel. And He says, whether Jew or Greek, whether Jew or Gentile, the gospel belongs to you. The good news that I will save you from your sins, that I will remove your shame, that I will change your heart, that I will forgive you, that I will love you, that I will accept you, and that you will be mine forever is a message that belongs to the church. And He has told the church to what? To go out into the world. To go to everyone and to go to everywhere and to tell them who Jesus is and what He has done for us and what He can do for them. And so Paul's careful instructions about the church... Paul's concern about the church, Paul's instructions to the elders is a reminder that this institution is a big deal. Because Jesus loves the world and He has provided the church for the world so that they may see Him. Jesus also loves the church. I heard a story many years ago about an old lady in a nursing home. And her great-grandchildren came to visit her over a long period of time before she passed away. 
And each time that they would come visit her, she would tell them about their great-grandfather that they never met and how deeply she loved him and how he courted her and about their wedding and about their life together. And the picture that she painted was of the greatest husband that ever lived. She dies, and they're in the attic of her home, and they find her journals. And they begin to read the journals, and they discover a difficult human being and a challenging marriage full of emptiness and problems and mistakes. And somehow over time it improved. But what they realized was that the story that she presented was much different than the reality. And it's the same thing with the church. If you look at the book of Revelation, you will see that Jesus is calling His bride to Himself. And in the end, the bride is spotless and beautiful and perfect and wonderful. And He loves, loves, loves the bride deeply. But the reality is that the bride is very sinful. And the bride is far from Him. And that the bride is not perfect. And that's the imagery of Scripture. That Jesus is the perfect husband. And the church is the imperfect bride. But the good news of the Gospel is that the church is being made perfect. And Jesus loves this church despite our stains despite our our transgressions, despite our rebellion and our unfaithfulness. And so when when people of the world call the church hypocrites, my response in most cases is, of course. If you understand the gospel perfectly, then you will understand that the church is hypocritical. That the church is a journey of sinful people on their way to the presence of a king who will crown them and make them righteous. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Paul is telling Timothy, you have to fight for the church. You have to get in to this flock with your staff and you have to do hard things. Why, Timothy? Why do you have health issues? Why is this so difficult? Because it's worth it because Jesus loves, loves, loves His church. And then finally, Jesus loves you. He loves the world. He loves the church. He loves you. Think about it. He's given you salvation. 
He's redeemed you from sin and death. He's been gracious and merciful to you. He's given you a new life. He's brought you into, your, into His family. He's ultimately bringing you home to His banquet table. But He has not left you alone in this world. He has given you each other. He has given you the church. He has given you this family where you can come and you can encourage each other. Where you can come and you can weep with each other. Where you can come to this place and you can be encouraged by His Word. And you can come to the Lord's table and your soul can be strengthened. As we remember the verse from earlier today, Isaiah, where it talks about going through the fire and the deep waters, Jesus is saying, I love you so much. I'm giving you the church to help you in this life. It will be like Noah's ark through the storm. It's not perfect. I'm making it perfect. But you need each other. And you need my word. And you need elders who love you and who care for you and who are willing to shepherd you amidst the difficulties of life. What a great and unbelievable and amazing Savior we have that He has thought through this thoroughly and He has done this for you and for me. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we rejoice that You love the world and that You love the church and that You love us. Help us to understand the gravity of this. Help us to love each other well. Help us to be an encouragement to each other. We pray, Father, for the elders who will one day rule this church. May their leadership and their shepherding reflect nothing except Your Son. And may we do church life together in such a way that You receive all the glory and the people who surround us in this life and in this world, will look at us and go, there's something different about them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.